Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. going to start a new series now from Philippians and um, I'm going to look at Philippians 1 uh, chapter 1 verse 1 to 11. Philippians is one of my favorite books and so I'm really uh, excited to uh, just begin this series. It, just a little bit of background in terms of uh, how the church was started. Um, it was quite a miraculous uh, event. Paul was on one of his travels. He was planting churches. He kind of got a, an idea where he was going. And uh, it says in Acts that he was prevented to go to one place and then prevented again. And then he had a vision. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia, it says in Acts 16, 9, um, uh, who was standing pleading with him. And basically we're saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul says this, we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So this church uh, started with a vision from God. And uh, it kind of took Paul and his team in a direction that they weren't planning to go, but where God wanted them to get to. And so... Paul goes to Macedonia and goes to the key, one of the key cities, which was Philippi. And normally when he went to a city like that, he would find a, a synagogue and tended to start with the God-fearers Jews the, uh, in, in the synagogue talking to them about the Messiah. But there's no synagogue probably in Philippi. So he goes down to a river where if there was a small group of believers, Jewish background believers then they would be there praying and so he meets there a lady called Lydia and uh, talks to her about the gospel about the Lord Jesus and Lydia basically says come back to my house and tell me more about this Messiah tell me more about how we're going to start a church and so that was Paul's entry with his team into uh, Philippi and uh, in Acts, in that part of Acts, we see three kind of significant people in Philippi. First, I've just mentioned, was Lydia. And she was probably a very wealthy lady. She had her own business. She was an Asiatic from Tyra. And so uh, she would have had a pretty big house, probably, which is why she could accommodate Paul and his team. The next um, person was completely the opposite, the poorest of the poor. This was a slave girl, she was a fortune teller, probably native Greek, and she basically was a slave to some owners who used her fortune telling to make money for themselves. And she basically kept telling people and shouting out about Paul and Barnabas, and eventually. Paul cast out a demon from her and fundamentally uh, 
she lost her livelihood and or at least the owners of her lost their livelihood and so ended up with Paul being taken into prison and there we met meet the third uh, key person in this little cameo of a church planting mission and he was the jailer and he was probably a Roman citizen probably a retired soldier so he could be reasonably comfortably off so here we have a very wealthy person a very poor person and then someone in the, the middle and basically uh, he in the middle of the night realized that actually the doors of the prison were opened and he was going to lose his uh, uh, his prisoners which really would have been that he would have got killed so he was fundamentally scared and then when he went to look Paul was still there and uh, basically said to him what what do I need to do to be saved and so Paul leads him to Christ baptizes him and so we have at least two of these three people who become the star of the church of Philippi we don't know about the slave girl uh, could well be I'd like to think it would be that she was part of this little house church as well because basically when Paul came out of prison he went back to Lydia's house and it basically says he spent the time there teaching that little group of believers about the Lord Jesus in Acts 1640 says when Paul and Silas left the prison they returned to the home of Lydia there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more just uh, it always strikes me that it's a little group of believers with a massive vision so you know Paul's whole journey was changed and with this vision of a man from Macedonia and sometimes I think it's uh, it's a hard thing to kind of get our heads around that sometimes we can have some big dreams big visions and actually the start of it is a small thing a small group of people I remember standing in Boston at the top of the Hancock Tower years ago with a, an American guy and basically looking out and praying God give us some churches give us some believers in, in Boston and I remember someone saying to me Colin there's not many people like you who can see a city and one person and and that I, I, I can navigate those two things very small starts but actually big dreams big purposes and so that's basically how this little church at Philippi started and so eventually Paul leaves and uh, he sends a letter back to them and that's what we're going to look at now for a few moments just recently someone asked my wife we've been married now she's over 40 years been Christians about 45 and um, said what was the best time of your church life and she kind of shocked them a little bit because I think they were gonna they're thinking she would say something you know 10 20 30 years ago she said actually the best church and the best time I'm, I've, I had is right now in Christchurch Manchester which is very encouraging and very true because I think both of us would say we love CCM and although we're the oldies uh, of the the church lots of young people actually we love it with the vigor the vitality the commitment 
and the care for Mary and myself. And so basically we've got lots and lots of friends. And it's interesting if you ask Paul what church he liked the best or uh, was the most special to him, he could well have said Philippi. And uh, what we see in this letter to the Philippians is a, is a letter from a friend to a friend. It says in Philippians 1 verse 1, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Often when Paul starts his letters, in fact virtually always pop them two or three times, he always mentions that he's an apostle. It's almost like he's affirming to his readers his role in the church. And uh, here he, he doesn't say that. It's kind of like these are my friends, these are people dearly loved. And uh, But he does actually say what his status is because it actually goes on to say Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. Jesus. Interesting word there, slaves. In, in some translations it's got servants, but servants isn't a, a kind of strong enough word uh, that Paul means it, because a servant basically has rights. A servant can come and go, a servant often gets paid, but here a slave has no rights. And basically we're saying he's a slave of Christ Jesus. He's given himself and the, his, the rights of his own life to Christ, to be directed by Christ. That's one reason when Christ met him in that vision and said, go to Macedonia, that's why he, he went. But it's interesting that this word slave, servant, has another connotation as well. So it's not only someone who has given everything to somebody else to to, to, to be in, in control of. But it's uh, basically, there's another side of it which says this, to be a slave is also to be a king, which is kind of completely flipped on, on its head. It's the other way around. You see, in the Old Testament, people like Moses and David and some of the prophets, they were called servants of God. And uh, basically, there's a, there was an honour in being a servant, a slave of God. And we were brought with a price. We're now heirs with Christ Jesus. So our servanthood, our slavehood to Christ actually means that we are also heirs with Christ. We are also victors with Christ. And so he basically starts this very relational to his good friends in Philippi. He talks about the fact that he's a servant, a slave of Christ. And then he honors the people and says, I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus. And uh, this is uh, the, the status of what we are in Christ. We are holy, set apart people. In the Old Testament, you see God always often depicted as holy. Isaiah 6, 3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It's a, a description of God. 
And because of Christ's death for us, it's now a description of us. Isn't that amazing? That the Holy One, the Almighty One, would take sinful me, would take sinful us. And because of the death of his son Jesus, took our sin and made us holy. I think that's just a remarkable uh, thing to actually comprehend that the holy God can say that the idea describes us as well. Amazing. And then it goes on to say this, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that's verse 2, give you grace and peace. Grace and peace are traditional Greek and Hebrew uh, greetings. And uh, grace is the free, spontaneous, unmerited love of God to sinful humanity. That's how we can be holy, because of the grace of God. And then peace. And you know, we need peace at this point of time. But it's not just the absence of trouble. Sometimes that's how I think of peace. It's, it's like a negative. It's the absence of, of war, of sickness, uh, of, of this pandemic, etc. But it means more than that. It means our total well-being, everything that makes for a person's highest good. It's something, the shalom, it's something that is a positive. It's something that we can live in. So then it goes on to say in verse three, I'm just going through this verse by verse, just for a few moments. It says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. It's interesting if you kind of think of people and groups of people that you know in, in the past. And you'll, if you're anything like me, you'll, you'll have some uh, moments that, you, that have not been good and people maybe who have not been good to you, have, have hurt you. And other times you'll have really fond memories. And, and uh, I have that in America. We went to live in America and got some, got some lovely friends there. And Paul said this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. And when I pray, I make my request for you with all joy. So actually having memories that make you thankful. It's a great thing. That's why Paul loved this church. And everything that comes through, you can see why I made that kind of, I don't know if it was a bold statement, that actually this could be one of his favourite churches, if he had a favourite church. He probably didn't, but he has this feel about it. So when he prays, he's just overwhelmed with love and thankfulness. Verse 7 says this, it's so right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. Here you see, you share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. As I said, this is a friend to a friend who loves this group of people dearly. And then just as we're beginning to 
bring this to a close. Verse 5 says this, For you have been partners in spreading the good news about Christ from, this, from the time you first heard it until... Now, partnership is a great thing. And Paul felt keenly that this church that didn't spend too long in, basically from the moment he left and went to plant other churches, they were with him. They sent money to him. They prayed for him. He felt passionately that this group of people were with him, heart, mind, and soul, and that they were basically uh, supporting him and looking after him. And obviously, they would have sent him money and uh, messages. And so he could say this, that from the, from the very start until now, you have been partners with me one of the great things about Christchurch Manchester and the number of sites that we have is the partnership that you feel one congregation to another it brings me great joy when I see people helping one another and then you know we're working with people like Andre Bondarenko there in Ukraine and in uh, parts of Europe and again partnering with people to spread the gospel. Andy Brownlee, one of my elders, was down in Uganda, where I was there uh, two or three years ago as well. And we're partnering there with a dear man, Emmanuel, who's planted over 100 churches, built hospitals and schools. And uh, along with other churches, this great partnership and partnership around the world of churches, rich and poor, working together. It's just such a, a great thing and talks about the unity of the body of Christ and the love of God and then just want to finish with verse 6 and it says this I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns I am certain he who began a good work. And uh, there's a certainty about a God who is sovereign, who is Lord of all, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Sometimes these big concepts of God's sovereignty, God's predetermined will, are, are, are hard to understand especially when we're living in times like this pandemic we're in which seems so much kind of out of control and tr men and women trying to get it under control and it you know how it spreads it's like our our free will to not go out to actually have this social distancing so so much of our life is basically what we're doing to control things and that we're doing some great things we're we're helping the nhs we're helping people by doing things like the social distancing but what it it does is it it makes it hard to understand in that context that we worship actually a sovereign god and somehow these two things again our ability to shape and do things god's creativity in us the ability unfortunately to sin as well and do many things actually there is an overriding certainty 
that as Paul says this, that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Because Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back to create a new heaven and a new earth, to bring actually a place of shalom, a place of peace, a place where he dwells with his people. No more sickness, no more dying, no more death. I remember I read a, a blog this morning from a, 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 a pastor who's an English guy over in Scandinavia. And he wrote down what jobs there wouldn't be in heaven. One of them was an undertaker. And uh, just the numbers of jobs, it was quite, it was, it was humorous, but also just making a point that actually so much of the work that we do on this earth actually will be redundant in heaven because actually there's a new heaven and a new earth. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Amen. Bless you.